My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, welcome back to the Sunday Talk podcast with Father Christopher Vaccaro, the chaplain at the Catholic Campus Ministry at the University of Mary Washington in Fredericksburg, Virginia. If you are joining us for the first time, this podcast is entitled Navigating Friendships and Dating Successfully and is an ongoing talk given by Father Vaccaro to the students at Mary Washington every Sunday evening at the St. John Bosco Center, the home of our campus ministry. Today, Father Vaccaro talks about different key elements of successful Christian dating. Father Vaccaro highlights the importance of putting God first, both in and outside the relationship, and evaluating what you are seeking outside the desire for another person. Setting out appropriate ways you will interact will assist you in building a relationship geared towards heaven. We're all told to date well, but what does that look like? I urge you to stick around and to find out. Here, my friends, is Father Bakira. All right, folks, let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, who was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. St. John Bosco. Pray for us. St. Dominic Savio. Pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Cold went into my pocket, now came the hundred again. I go, thank you. I feel... If I was a rich man. Okay. You don't know where that's from? Are you, are you allowed to sing that song? Oh, I have no idea. I, I don't think my... All right, so tonight, uh, we're gonna, I have one little thing on responsibility we were going to go over from last week on emotions, but then we're going to speak about the basics of successful Christian dating, which is more practical things about dating. So it's one of the more practical, uh, not the other ones aren't practical, but this is, gets right into the weeds. Uh, but first, um, about responsibility. Uh, in, when we're speaking of dating, responsibility... When we refer to that in general, it means that we can do the things necessary to succeed. So when you're given a responsibility, so if your parents say to you, you have a responsibility, or if you're in a workplace and you're given a responsibility, that's basically what someone's saying to you. They're saying to you, I'm giving you uh, the power and I have the confidence that you can succeed at whatever task this is. I mean, they're not saying it exactly that way, but you can relate. That's what it means. So when you have responsibility, I sometimes joke when I leave the building, if I see either Bobby or Katrina or one of the student leaders, I'll say, Katya, you've got the helm, right? Or, or you've got the calm, which is, you know, in like, it's like naval language to say like the captain is stepping away. Someone else takes responsibility for the ministry while they're gone. I mean, it's not really that way, but I just like to throw that out there. I wish they had, like they do it on naval vessels, when the captain leaves, they ring a bell, and they say, you know, USS whatever, departing. And then when the captain comes on board, they ring a bell, and they say, USS Taylor uh, arriving, because the captain is the ship. Very interesting about that. So when the captain is not there, the ship does not exist as uh, in the proper. Anyway, no one's ringing any bells when I leave. <laughs> but. And David will he'll start ringing. <laughs> but what, so it means I want you to think about that when you when you take responsibility for another person, it says that you're doing the things necessary to succeed. We see the necessary part of love 
is not in the joy of love, because that's sort of fairly easy, but in the duties of life. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it becomes hard. You know, taking responsibility to make God first, your spouse, taking responsibility for your spouse, and you know, even in the, in the wedding vow, what do you say? In good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. Responsibility for children. You know, my sister, her, uh, so she has three little kids, and uh, they were actually gonna come down here this weekend for Saturday Mass, but they all got sick. The infant got COVID, and then it spread to the whole family. But my sister was saying, you know, all she could do was, was pop Tylenol because she wanted to sleep, but her husband had it, and all the kids had it at the same time. So she said they were miserable, so all she could do was she had to keep going for the children. And I thought in relation to responsibility. I mean, the thing we'd like to do is to just say, I need to take a nap. Well, she did too. Uh, the, and so here's the crux of it. This is a, a beautiful line that you take, take to the bank. The greater a responsibility you have towards another, the more a person loves the other. I'm going to say that again, and then you can think in your own life that that's actually true. The greater a responsibility towards another that a person has, the more that you actually love the other person. So think of husband and wife. They, they supposedly give all of themselves to the other, and what's supposed to happen is not a 50-50 split, but you go all in. Isn't it interesting? I've said this in faith. Like moves, uh, you know, faith is a move of all in or fold. So is vocation. You know, if, if, if people come in like a lot when they're dating, they're like, I'll do it if you do it. It's like, that's the wrong attitude to have. It's like, do it because that's what you should do. But you can imagine their responsibility is complete. So their love should be more. Think of parents. They are responsible for almost all aspects of a child's life, certainly early on. Some of them think that that continues into adulthood, too. They're still responsible for every action of your life. But the level of responsibility a person has increases the amount that you can actually love because you're responsible for them. Because remember, responsibility is having the ability to succeed. So a parent or a spouse is saying, I can assist the other person and help them to reach the fulfillment which they were created for. And remove it even from the spiritual standpoint, which we don't want to do fundamentally, but think of like rearing of children. That's why, if you think, if I said to you, what, what did your parents spend the most of their money on? I mean, maybe a house would be most. But your education and driving you to games and, you know, food, all those things, that adds up. I haven't thought of that in my own family. You know, I've got six brothers and sisters. And my mom didn't work, and my dad, uh, they, all of us went to Catholic school, and they paid for all of us to go to college. So I said, their investment was education. So it's the responsibility that you're putting on there. Note how it's not the level of emotion, because this is what people usually, it's like, oh, I'm so in love with you, I'm so in love with you. Show me the level of responsibility, and I'll tell you whether or not you're in love with someone. And I don't even mean just romantic. 
That's friendship. So people meet the first time and they say, oh, I love you, you're my, you're my soulmate or whatnot. No, they're not. Not, not yet. They're not, not yet because there's no responsibility. It's when you have responsibility, the capacity to love is increased. It requires us to do the hard things, not the easy. We need to get away from the idea that we are too busy for difficult things. And I've said this to you as a caution in homilies, because I think, and I don't mean this to the people here, but in general, my work with young adults, it's almost like you, you guys are masters, young adults, not you, at excuses. You know, like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. I, I'm, I, I'm busy. I'm feeling stressed right now. And it may be that those things are true. I'm not saying, but they're used in a different way. Do you hear your parents saying that to you? Do you hear like older people coming in and they, ah, I'm getting overwhelmed. Oh, you hear it? Okay. I, I would say it's not as common in the generation north of yours. And what I challenge you to do is ask, are they sincere things that you need to, or are you using them somewhat to advance your own cause? If you don't want to do something or a responsibility is put on you and you're like, eh, I really don't know if I want to do this, you can come up with an excuse. And I'd say like the top three are stress, being overwhelmed, which is kind of related to stress, and too busy. And those are the ones that people just kick out in some variety over and over and over again. I want you to realize when you do that, it's setting you up in a part for failure later on in marriage. You don't have that opportunity to do that, nor in any vocation, really. I mean, you can imagine if, if every time one of you asks me to do something, I'm like, oh, I'm stressed, too many people I meet with, I need vacation, I'm out of here. Or, but in marriage, that's why I use my sister, like that, was, that happened last week, that's a good example. She can't just say, I'm stressed, I'm sick, I'm overwhelmed. There's three little people that are like, hey, we're feeling stressed, sick, and overwhelmed too. And someone needs to provide for them. But when you take responsibility, there's the word, and you say, I'm going to train myself in this. This is the beauty. When you train yourself in virtue, it becomes not second rate where it's like, you're like, ah, oh, it doesn't mean anything. It becomes easier to do. It's the same with sports. And I think of all the many games that I've refereed, that the thing that I, is, in I try to explain this, most people don't get it, but like in basketball, the, the players are moving when you get to the higher levels of basketball, because people see like little peewee people. But like when you're refereeing like a, 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 uh, a college game, so like when I was doing some of these camps, the guys are 6'5". I mean, these are trees that are moving around the court there. It's hard to see. I mean, so they're moving around. Here we go, right. So. They're, they're moving around, and you've got like five, you've got ten people moving around like that, but the referees have refereed, like by that point, I maybe had refereed 10,000 hours of games, like 10,000 games. Everything slows down. It's so, you can see all of these things. And so you don't always get the call right, but everything moves slower to the referee because you're focused in. Because why? I've seen so many plays. Every once in a while, there's a play that I haven't seen. But it's rare. I know what foot is going to be the, the pivot foot. So like when they set up, all of it's moving quickly, but like we're trained. Pick up the pivot foot immediately. So as soon as a player gets the ball, left foot the pivot foot. Okay, the player moved up, that's a travel. So 
you're able to put these things in your mind instantaneously. Well, the players on the court, the best players, when you become an elite player of something, why do they do that? They have done the same thing over and over and over again. That's why if you look at some of the best free throw shooters, you know, there'll be 80, 90% free throw. They shoot hundreds of free throws every day because they realize, in a, and it's an easy shot, no one's there. You'd be like, shoot the difficult ones. No, they need to get down the key ones. They recognize those difficult moments when they get in a, a clutch game, they need to have prepared so it's not difficult for them to do. The same's true with life. So take responsibility of your choices. Don't use excuses. That responsibility shapes you very well for you know your vocation later on, and if you want to use a good, if you want to see like examples, watch watch elite athletes or people who've reached the highest levels of things, and then like read their regimens that they do for for excellence. And I can say I didn't reach the highest levels of things, but when I was advancing in refereeing, you know years ago, now I'm just refereeing high school, but when I was advancing refereeing, you'd pay all, I would pay money to go to these camps. And you go into a room, and there would be 150 referees sitting there, all good referees. So I'd sit there, and the guy running the camp would come up, and he'd say, we have one opening on our staff this year. Now, every guy in the room is paid 500 bucks to go to the camps, and I'm thinking, this guy's making a killing. But if you want to get to the elite level, you need to shine better than 150 other people in that room. And that's how you get ahead. You've got to get to that level. And in faith, that's the kind of intensity we should have for our vocations. I'm not just going to get married. You know, you see people, many people date. But how many are dating well? Which leads into my next talk. Okay, here we go. So the basics of Christian dating. Because I want you to date well. It's not just we do the same things. It's not, someone said to me, do you think it's difficult to find, uh, you know, a significant other? Not too difficult, but it's difficult to stay with that person. It's difficult to grow in that relationship. I mean, it's not, well, some people are like, it's somewhat difficult. I'm not saying it's, it's a diamond dozen, but you just go out and you're like, hey, you want to go on a date tonight? And someone's like, I guess so. You know, I was waiting for someone to say that. The role of real discernment. Many people use a phrase, discernment, as a synonym for deciding something. You know, so we'll say I'm discerning that. I mean, not that many people, I mean, but you'll, you'll hear that phrase, I'm discerning this. But discernment properly is much deeper than this. While related and prior to deciding something, it is distinct from it. It is prior to a decision. The goal of discernment is to see beyond the mere external dimensions of something and to probe to look at the deepest levels of what is being sought and then to ask the question, why? Why am I seeking that? Because there's many, like if I put out, like right now, I don't know who's hungry in here, but if I had like a jelly donut up here, someone would be like, I hate jelly donuts. There's 500 calories in that thing. It's, that's not jelly, that's calories in there. Okay? Like, and someone else, their mouth would be watering and they'd be, I'd be like, all right, on the count of three, charge it, okay? Like, first person up here gets the jelly donut. And some group would charge that donut. 
The, so, but what we really say is, why do I want it? Well, someone who's just eaten probably doesn't want the jelly donut. Uh, they may want to save it for life. There's always someone who saves, right? <laughs> someone saves. It's like, I'm saving it for tomorrow. It's wrapped in a napkin. <laughs> it's wrapped in a napkin. Yeah, look how that looks tomorrow morning, right? You're saving it all right. But we need to ask ourselves why we do things. Monsignor Charles Pope, who I, I like, he writes articles for the Archdiocese of Washington, but he said something on discernment. He said, thus to discern is to distinguish or sort out what, what is of God and what is of the flesh, the world or even the devil in the extreme. As such, discernment in its root meaning is something that ought to precede a decision and should aid you in making it. Thus, when we discern either a course of action or simply whether we, what we think or hear is of God or not, we must often admit that while some things are purely of God, it is also the case that there may be other things that are mixed, things that are not of God, which must be shifted and separated out so that we know where we're directed and what's calling, causing us to desire this. Discernment is in these sort of things. It, discernment is more in when it's not just a clear thing. So some steps for discernment in dating. I have three. First, we must ask the first question of whether we seriously place our relationship with Christ first in our life. Now, before you answer too quickly, because everyone, well, I don't want to say everyone, but a lot of people are like, oh, yep, absolutely, Jesus is number one. Eh, let's see about that. We must realize the consequence of saying yes. So what is the consequence of that? This means that one's first love shapes one's second love and third love and fourth love. You cannot have multiple first loves. It has real consequences. A, so like first point on that, if something comes up during the relationship that would lead you away from the Lord, would you leave the relationship before you would leave your relationship with the Lord? So that, you see that? Because if your first love is the Lord, would you leave the person for sticking with the Lord? Second, it means that the thought of God's will precedes immediate emotions of the guy or girl that we are interested in. So we recognize that there's emotion involved. That's normal. But then we need to think, like, what am I seeking? I often think of this like when people date and they're like, well, I really, I, I, there's no way I'd marry this person. Why are you dating them? I need experience. Someone told me that one time. I said, this isn't a video game. I mean, it's like, I need to sample the wares. I mean, I need experience. But people do that. They do that kind of stuff. And, they, and then they'll say, like, can we keep it? There's all kinds of phrases that we use now. And, and people buy into them. Cut through these phrases. So, like, friends with benefits, out. Okay? Amen. That should be a definite out. Okay? But second is also when people say, let's just keep it casual. I would ask them. I mean, they may mean, ask them what they mean by that. What do you mean by keep it casual? So, like, phrases have meaning, so it's good to define. 
But that's where you would ask in this thing. It means that the will of God precedes emotion. So you may be very attracted to someone. Recognize that. There's nothing wrong about that. But emotion is blind. Just being attracted to someone, you're going to be attracted to many people. When you're married, you're still going to be attracted to people. It doesn't mean you act on it. You've got it. That so don't let your emotion. And that's not just so remove dating. That doesn't relate. Like when you're in a job, someone offers you another job, or you buy something and you see something else that you want. At a certain point, you like you buy a car and you're like, oh, I like this one too. Okay, so what? You don't have another thirty thousand dollars, right? So you need to realize that. It means our relationship with the Lord should continue to grow throughout the dating relationship as Christ is our first love. So you don't replace your first love. What happens is if this is Christ and this is significant other, you're both growing at the same time because you never want to replace your first love. If Christ is your first love, he always must remain in the number one spot. And lastly, it means that every step of the relationship, we must reaffirm that any love of a man or a woman that is given to us is only a taste of the love that God has for us. And even their ability to love is in itself a gift of God. So I often like to think about that because you've heard me say before, I, I say that all of the spiritual life is understood when you understand the language of love. I've said that here in this talk. I, I'm fully invested in that idea, which means, since that is of God, that when I experience it, it is only some of what is of him. So the more that you experience love in the proper sense, the more you experience who God really is. But we must never think that in a relationship we have encapsulated all of God because what we experience is of God and even the ability of the other person to and, you know, enable us to see it in an, in an incarnational way, like in another person, guess what? That itself is an image of God. It's very interesting. And I don't mean that just in hyper-theological talk. I mean that very concretely. We just often don't think of it that way. That the more that we love, the more we should be drawing close to the Lord. The second thing on discernment of dating. We, so the first was we must ask the first question whether we place our love of Christ first in our life. That's first. Second, we must know what we are seeking outside of the desire for one person. This means that when we, when we come up with things that are essential... For what, you know, I, I ask you, like, when people come out, I think I said earlier, like, what are you looking for in a significant other? Right? And people gave all kinds of qualities. I forget what they are, but if you're already dating someone, you're compromised to some degree because you're not going to say qualities that they don't have. Or if you do, that's the end of that relationship, right? Okay? So it's one of the two things there. So this means when we come up with things that are essential for a potential spouse, we can't be interested in talking with someone already. We really should be thinking of these things beforehand. I realize some of you are already dating. I'm just saying, ideally, these would be things we would think about. Amazingly, something that is so central to us, we often go on blogs 
or apps for our greatest feedback on that and ratings, you know, stars, whatever it may be. That's not where you find these things out. Or friends sitting around ladies where it's a group of women. I mean, women do this more than men. Like, well, what do you think of this guy? Oh, that's right. Ladies never do that, right? And so I was like, no, 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 we would never do that. But real, well, men do it in their own way too. Okay, let's be clear. So real discernment should not be influenced by the emotions of the moment. If marriage or dating is a serious enterprise, and I would say it is, then why not spend the time in advance prepping for it? I mean, you, you do that for retirement. You do that for job hunting. You do that for looking for schools. You look at their serious enterprise. We spend time doing things to prepare for it. We don't just sort of, don't be like my, one of my best friends in college who showed up at Marymount and he said, I've never toured the school. I didn't know what city it was in. But they gave me 6000 or 8000 in scholarships, so I accepted. So he showed up the first I remember he was there, and he's like, where's the football field? And I said, there is no football team. And he's like, what? There's no football team? So that's not how you investigate something seriously. You know, we should spend the time necessary to come up with what we need. Please know that if you try to do this step while interested in another person, you will almost always come up with the qualities of the person that you have an interest in. That's why I say it's better done before that. If it is, if you're already dating or interested, then ask yourself, take a step back and say, I'm attracted to this person, but what do I need to continue to grow? And does that person have that? Now, it is a bit harder to do that, but it's a good thing, and hopefully they do. And if they don't, it doesn't mean quickly break up with them. You may need to say to them at a nice time, and that doesn't mean like, you know, I was at Father's talk. <laughs> and you don't quite have a couple of the things that I'm most in need of, okay? So the better way to do it is set the stage, right? Do things positive, like whip out a $100 bill. Oh, that's a $1 bill. Say, you're worth this to me, okay? You're worth a buck to me. But you would go and you would sit down maybe at a dinner. I often think dinners are great places, because here's the thing. It's also great places to have critical conversations. Just make sure you drive, okay? So that's the key thing. But here's the reason, because when you go there, and don't sit like in the middle of a busy place. You want to go to a place where you can sit in a booth or in a back corner, okay? Not like the Godfather so that no one can come through, but you want to be away from, and then when you can, if you're having a wonderful meal, the bread's great, you know, you're at like the middle of, right, you're in the middle of the entree when it comes up. The person's half full and very satisfied, okay? And then you drop it. You say, you know, I was thinking of something. I was thinking that it would be really good if we as a couple, notice I said we instead of the other person, right? We tried to do this together. I think we could be better at whatever. And then you put it out. And that way you, you get reaction from the other person. If you put it on them and you're like, you know what, I think you need to be doing People don't react well to that. So you set the stage. It's the same way you do an engagement or anything important. Like a person doesn't usually engage by just saying, I've got a ring in my pocket. And at, as soon as I get up right now, I need to do it. They have the whole thing planned out. They've got a photographer. Now there are people that do it badly at like sporting events. They've got like on the jumbotron. Gentlemen. Terrible idea. Let me assist you. 
it's a terrible idea. Women do, in general, do not like that. They don't need, it's an intimate moment. It's not you and 10,000 of your closest friends. But here's the thing, you should, that's the thing, is you should ask yourselves, what am I seeking and do we have this? If you're not in a relationship, ask yourself, what am I looking for? Third, we must keep the end of dating in mind. What's the end of dating? There's two ends of dating. What's one end? Marriage. Marriage. What's the other end? Breakup. Well, break <laughs> There's two ends of marriage. It's, it's marriage or breakup. Those are the ends of marriage right there, or ends of dating. Dating is not just about feelings of love or the joy of sharing with one another. I mean, that's part of it. It is geared towards marriage. Seminary is about discerning if a man is called to be a priest. So there's two ends of seminary, leave or get ordained. It's always interesting. Vocations have two choices ultimately at the end. Dating is discerning if a man or woman is called to marriage with one another. Perhaps we can say that dating is the formation time before marriage. This means that there should be an advancement in maturity, life aims that are mutually compatible. And if marriage is revealed by God as part of the understanding of the relationship, namely the partnership where one truly becomes one with another, a genuine openness to the good of children, the understanding that marriage is permanent and the understanding that marriage is exclusive. We call those the bonas of marriage, the goods of marriage. Now, I'm not suggesting you get in, you ask people like, do you understand these? But you should have them in the back of your mind. Like, does the person, if you're dating towards marriage, you need to understand these, this is what marriage means. Are we taught, the number of people who I've done uh, wedding prep for who have not had discussions about is stunning. You know, you'll sit down, and I'm not talking just religious matters. You'll sit down, they've never spoken about finances before. They have no idea if the other person has any debt. And you may say, who cares if the other person has debt? We'll get through it. Say a person has 200000 in debt, and you have none. It doesn't mean it's endgame, but don't you think you'd like to know that? That you're going to be paying for the you know, first couple decades of marriage, this debt off? Or say a person says, like, I don't want children. And you do, which is part of the good of marriage. No one's asked. And when you ask, you know what the major reason is they don't ask? There's two, two reasons they usually give me. What do you think one is? What's the first reason they give? That's right. One of them is they're afraid that the other person doesn't have the same answer they do. Now, let's pause the train here, okay? What do you think? I just said there's two options. If someone doesn't have an essential uh, understanding of what you want in marriage, don't you want to find that out before you're married to them? But we're afraid to get an answer to that? I mean, so that's one. What's the other one? They don't think of it. They're, they're constantly going on dates, but they're not necessarily getting into deep conversation. I don't think every date needs to have deep conversation. But some should. And so you can come up with a list of kinds of things that you want to talk about. Now, don't like whip the list out. No, I was going to say, yeah, 
Oh. No, no, no. You got to do it naturally. It's right after you're in the middle of the course. You're in the middle of the entree, right? You're, they've had the bread. So you think you're setting the state, and you can always bring it up. You can say like, you can tie things up. You can say, you know what? You'd bring, I bring up like debt. College was tough for me, but I worked hard all the way through. So I only have about, you know, 5,000 in debt. Do you have any debt that you're bringing in? Yeah, I've got 200,000. And right then do like the Scrooge McDuck eyes. With like, I'm going, yes. Say it a little louder, David. I can't hear you. Well, that's the thing. And I don't want it to be focused primarily on money. My concerns are more other things. But that's one you should ask. Here's another one. And this one I've seen is a major issue. Does the person, where do you, or is one person open to relocating? There are people that are like, I need to live right next door to my mom. I'm not kidding you. And if the other person is like, all right, well, we're going to move to Seattle. And, and you're like, oh, Seattle where? Seattle Fredericksburg? You know, like, th th that's not a winner. I mean, so you should ask these things like, where do we want to live? Are you open to relocating? Meet the family. Have you ever been over and had, you know, dinner with the other family? And I don't mean one time. Do you know the in-laws? Because believe me, certainly in-laws believe that they are part of your family, okay? That they're coming in too. You're not just marrying one, the other one is coming along with them. So you need to find that stuff out. Okay, any thoughts on discernment for dating? Those are the three things there. Okay, dating in general. So a few baselines here. There's no need to rush. How often the flames of desire for a person come that we immediately rush into dating or we begin to set up how things are going to work and we're making everything uh, to work out with this person. You know, we're assuming qualities that a person has that may, they may or may not have. And yet, they, in the end, the, the flame burns out. You know, we're, we're, we're stoking the flames of the relationship before they need to be there. Take it slow. Oh, I don't like to take things slow. Okay, well, good luck. Okay, it's like running a marathon. What do you think happens if you bolt out, because marriage is like a marathon, right? What happens if you say, my skill in marathon running is to sprint the entire race? Do you think that will work? You ever seen that? That's why in the Olympics you're like, you turn on the marathon, they, kick, they start out, everyone starts out, then they disappear into ads and like a whole nother event, and then they come back and they're like at the 12 mile mark, disappear again, and then they show us like the last mile or two miles. We need to realize if you sprint out, you're going to flame out too. That there's, you need to pace things. Recognize insecurity as that and nothing more. When you're interested or dating a person, you analyze every interaction under a microscope, particularly at the beginning of the relationship. Why didn't he talk to me? Why didn't she bring me the candy that she just gave to someone else? 
We almost live our lives playing over and over in our minds. And this often causes big conflict in relationships. You know, we're playing things out over and over again. It often leads to what I call cold shoulder moments. If she didn't give me the candy, well, I'm not giving her any either. I mean, I understand it's not candy necessarily, but think of the difference if she didn't say hello to me, if she didn't do this, we give the cold shoulder. We become suspect of the other person and it eats away at us. Ever heard of this? Seen it? Thought it? Okay. I'm not asking you to admit to it, but be confident in what you have been told or what you have done in your relationship. Do not be short-sighted. The guy who is complaining that he didn't get candy from his girlfriend a week before got a letter of love from her. But he forgets that in the moment. The person who's worried that someone didn't talk to her forgets the interactions that took place a day before. Take people at their word. If they tell you they like you or love you, they probably do. Okay? So if someone has said that to you, this is something I see in relationships where there's all this insecurity. If we just base it in with security, if someone has said that to you, you know, I really like you. Okay? Take that for what it is. If it's more advanced and they've expressed love for you, take that for what it is. Don't express those things too quickly if you don't mean it. Because that can also happen. I call that artificial sealant. The way that I will make this relationship work is by artificially advancing the speed of the relationship. Let me assure you that doesn't work. Any thought on that, that one? Because that's a common one. I like to get that out there. We need to be secure. Please. Okay, I'll continue then. Okay. <laughs> Third, set your rules. I call these ROEs from the military, rules of engagement, okay? You set out the thing. You have your rule. Now, you're not advertising your rules of engagement, but you know your rules of engagement. Do not begin dating by saying, we'll see where things go. I've heard that a lot of times, okay? This usually ends badly, okay? Who gets in a car with someone if they, that they don't know well and just says, look, let's just drive. I'm not checking the gas level. I don't care if the person has a license. I have no idea where we're going, but let's just drive, right? Your emotions are very, very, very much in play when you are starting dating. And often for the large part of the relationship, it is important to set rules for yourself so you don't get carried away. These rules protect you and actually protect the other person. So I will tell you my rules when I was dating. Now I will say, as you can see, I'm a lone man. Okay, so. so for instance, these were my, I had four rules that I would do. Number one, I would, don't be alone when I want to be alone. Yeah, it's a good sentence, with the, with the girlfriend, okay? So in other words, end of the evening, when the person would invite you up to the room, 
that's when I prefer to be alone, okay? But it wasn't smart. So I would say, I don't want to be alone. I, mine are all things that work in my mind. So you're like, don't be alone when I want to be alone. What is that? Okay. Don't be alone when I want to. You don't want to be alone, myself, when I was perhaps compromised in engaging in behaviors I didn't want to do, which would not be fair to the girl who I was dating. Second, always state your intention. So I would, it was a, a pattern that I would state like what I was gonna do. So I would say, you know, uh, at the beginning, if we, it was casual dating, I would, I would state that. And I wouldn't be awkward. I don't want you to think it was like this. I must state what we are about to do, okay? But what I would say is, you know, I just wanna be very transparent. You know, I'm enjoying our interaction, but you know, let's take this slowly so that we get to know one another uh, with no expectation initially, which is the, uh, before one is officially dating, you're going on dates with maybe multiple people, which most people don't do nowadays. Or if they do, they're not in, in, engaging in the right approach to dating. But you'd stay, and then even in relationships, like I would state, if they got more serious, I would explain why chastity was so important for me. Now, people always, they sit and they, oh, that's nice. But they're like, they're like, I bet that didn't work out well for you. Actually, it worked out pretty well. Meaning that when you state your intention, I would say something like this. It was worded a little bit better, but I would say, look, my lack of movement physically is not because I don't desire something. It's because I recognize that's not what we should be doing at this stage in our relationship. So I don't want you to take that as a, as a misidentity that I'm not romantically interested in you. Because sometimes people are like, am I getting friend zoned here? So you, you have to, I wanted to make sure that was known, state my intention but also communicate, I didn't want any of this stuff that you know, was going to lead to somewhere which is a bad place for me and a bad place for the girl. Third, protect her heart while protecting your own. Now, this was important because a lot of people, they're selling their hearts away. And this is why when you get in a relationship, if anyone has been in a relationship and they break up and they're crushed for months on months, that's often because you didn't protect your heart well. So what protecting the heart well means is to say, I'm going to only, this goes back to the castle of the heart that I said, I'm going to deliberately introduce the people to various things about myself without revealing too much. This is why I say to you, people have asked me for advice, do not go on these five and six hour dates early on in the relationship. It's a bad idea. You, at the end of the date, you're talking too much about things, because you've been there. What, I mean, after you're talking with someone for a, a number of hours, what else is there to say? Particularly someone you don't know well. So it, it, having small, shorter dates enables you to stage the information that you, you have. And it helps the other person. So when you're ready to enter in, like, more seriously date, you can state that. That goes to number two. But also, the other person is still free to say yes or no, because you haven't told them things that you shouldn't have told them, like, I've never met anyone like you before. You know, and if a guy comes up, ladies, and says that to you right off the bat, I want you to picture me standing right next to you and saying, but how many other people has he told that to? <laughs> because a lot of times, that's what it is. Particularly, now, I'm not saying if, he, if anyone ever says that. I'm saying if a guy uses that as the lead line. Some of these Don Juans, okay, are, they, they, they need to be escorted right out and say, thank you, you're not getting access to my heart, okay? 
And fourth, and this is a great way, pray before and after every date. Now, you may say, well, how do you do that? Well, you just, again, state your intention. I think it's important that we pray before the day. I hope you don't mind that. You can find out. Does the person like prayer? Is the person comfortable with praying? I mean, if the person wasn't going to be comfortable praying, that wasn't going to be a person I was dating. And a lot of times we would be okay. It also helps with chastity at the end of the evening. I, I joke around. I say nothing ruins the mood like prayer, okay? But I mean that in a positive way, that you, you, you look at it where you're ending in an appropriate way, and it leads you to have, you may say, well, how did all that work out for you? People look forward. I would look forward to going on the next date. And I don't want you to think I had a vast experience dating. I want to be very clear, okay? But I, I certainly look forward to going on the next date. And then it, hopefully it would transition into something that was a, lo a longer-term relationship. These rules help us to develop the way we know virtue should be employed in the relationship. So you should create, I highly recommend, your own rules of engagement. Now, tied in with that is something that people don't do, but I actually recommend early on. Go on dates with multiple people. Oh, we don't do that. Now, I don't mean weirdly, okay? <laughs> By this, I don't mean even things that we necessarily define as dates. Get to see people in social settings as friends. Bring along other people as well, even if you're interested in one of the people. It helps to take the stress off of the situation. So when you're in a group setting, you can have someone that you're interested in, but your, your girlfriends or your, your other guys are with you. You can be a group. And you can see how the other person behaves. It takes away, the, how many times have you been on a date and you're like, I got nothing else to say right now. I'm really nervous and I like the person who I'm sitting with, but I got nothing to say. But with a group setting, you have other friends that are there. And believe me, your friends know if you're interested in someone and they can you know, help you out to get the seat next to one another or whatnot. I mean, I'm not saying it needs to be like a completely platonic thing. It's, that's why I say multiple people. It helps you to have an initial set situations, good engagement. Uh, purity. It is a common practice uh, that, and belief that some form of sexual behavior must occur when people are dating and engaged. Something that I term the expectation of sexual behavior before marriage. This can take many forms, but ultimately leads to the idea that as one dates, one has to become more and more physical. Kissing gets longer, touching gets more pronounced, less and less clothes are on, okay? Get the idea, okay? What this has this led to, and do you think this is a really good idea? Does anyone think this is a great idea? No, see, no one's going to say to the priest, I think it's a great idea. Okay. Can you clarify, you mean not touching, not getting, not getting more as you date, right? No, no, I, well, I'm going to explain this. I'm not saying that you're standing like a, like a rock here and you're like, I really do like you, okay? <laughs> There's natural and good and, and intimate relationships that we can have. I mean, some things are hand-holding, wonderful. Hugs, 
Great. Oh, your hand holding right here. Oh, you're yeah, exactly. Don't hold those hands. They, you know, and things that aren't even necessarily physical. I mean, how intimate is it to like lie in the grass looking at the stars together on a nice, not a cold night like this? That's the end of the relationship. But you know, that's intimate. So, but what we often do is we truncate deeper levels of intimacy for more physical contact. And the more that that it engages in a relationship, it feeds on it to become a primary element. Now, in marriage, it, it, and I get into this, well, I'll just get into it. Instead, there needs to be a protection of purity that we are given, like we would protect that, to be innocent as children of God. This does not mean that we are not sexual. So I'm not in any way saying that this is like we're asexual. It rather means that we see love as much deep, deeper than needing to act on urges. This is where the rules of engagement would be helpful. In marriage, those urges are expressions of confessed and committed love and are always or should be open to the union of the spouse and life. So it is a beautiful expression of love. And this is why in healthy marriages, that isn't the, the be all and end all. I often think like at the start, think of like when if you, those of you who have dated before, think of the start of relationships, how many times it's not physical things, but notes, flowers, cards, jokes, whatever it may be that sort of roots the relationship. If, if, if you became very physical, or what I just described occurred in your relationship, ask yourself, did the same level of those emotional things that were so positive in your relationship early on, were they present then after that entered in? And what often happens is it doesn't mean they all leave and like it's, it's just physical, but a lot of those things that grounded the relationship take a back seat. And we're losing the ability to really build up intimacy. Now, here's why I argue that we cut the physical as much as we can. Because in marriage, just saying the physical is going to be the thing that we do, that is, that is part of the height of, of communion. But I often say that the, the most intimate you can be with someone is not sexual intimacy. And hear me out. Because that would mean, for instance, a priest would not be able to read reach the heights of intimacy. And not just a priest, but think about single people. Spiritual intimacy is actually much deeper. So when you move forward and you engage in an intimacy that in, in, encapsulates the whole of the person, there's an appropriate time for physical expression. And in dating, there is time to advance to some degree. But it doesn't mean you're advancing to levels of sinfulness or sexual activity. It's not like you get up to the day before marriage and you've done everything but have sex, and then on the wedding night you have sex. Some people think that that's what it is. It's, there's a big chasm between the two. One is developing a relationship of intimacy, the other expresses it, and then it is fully given within the confines of marriage. So it's a different approach, really, to how you engage in physical activity. Any thoughts? Does that make sense, or is that just? OK. 
Okay, when you say that, what, what doesn't make sense? I'd agree. I don't think that, I think it's it's sort of an unspoken rule. That's why I brought it up. This unspoken rule that this is where we go. We slur, we're just slowly going and we, we just keep going. It's kind of like we're slowly getting to the destination. But what we leave on the table is when we say like emotional intimacy or spiritual intimacy, I don't mean them as like nice <laughs> phrases. It's learning the art of doing that. I don't think we know how to engage. That's why the talk began with how to be a friend. Because in marriage, I hope that one of the things you'd want is you'd say that your spouse is your best friend. Right? I mean, people say that, but you'd want that. That's why, before we got into all of this, I started with, what does it mean to be a friend? So that all of that is the preceding things that lead up to where you are able in a relationship to say, I've employed these things within friendship. Because that's where you're going to learn the art of intimacy and the depths of sort of spiritual intimacy with your friends. This is the thing. That's why I say spiritual intimacy is deeper. It, it's with a wider group of people you could be spiritually intimate with. Other people who you're praying together with you who are also doing things, you know, close friends that are doing acts of charity for other people. This is where I said often lovers look at one another, but I said the more beautiful thing is when they turn together, face a common goal, and walk together towards that goal. That's what I more mean, is it's a deliberate act to live a way where you say, we, whether it be my friends, or in this case, you know, significant other, we're going to not just engage in the behavior that's about us, but it's about other people in relation to the love that God has for us. Because it says, what does God say? That the, the whole of the law is understood in the love of God and the love of neighbor. He said, so the love of neighbor enables a person to have that expression of love. 
you know, in, in the priesthood, allow me to speak just sort of out like from, from my standpoint, by giving myself completely to my priestly ministry, it enables me to give spiritual love to the people that I serve. That it's not work that does it, the low pay that is driving me out of bed every morning. Okay? Maybe that minimum wage paycheck at the end of the week. Okay? Here's the thing. It's love alone gets people to do that. It's what parents get up. That's why we can say a parent with their children is deeply intimate, deeply spiritual, and yet in no way sexual. So I don't want you to think that we can't do it. These relationships are guided by these things, these relationships where we all recognize sex has no part in understanding this deeper level. Now take that into a relationship that's romantic. Take all of the positive of that and then say at an appropriate time we add physical intimacy. First, physical intimacy that is appropriate for dating and then later appropriate for marriage. And I'm gonna explain why. Let me explain a little bit more. First, I often say this to people. If you're engaging like you described, you said, well, in my mind, what it may be is that you're leading all the way up to engagement and then all that's left is sex. What happens if you break up? That person, their future spouse and your future spouse are out there, okay? So like right now, any of you that get married, your future spouse is walking the earth. Unless you're marrying someone 20 years your junior, which is kind of weird, okay? Just saying. So right now, the engagement that you would have with people would take into account, it could be this guy or girl that I'm with now, but it may not be. I'm not engaged to that person. There's no wedding date. I'm not in marriage. And so I'm gonna treat my body in an appropriate way that whenever I meet the man or woman that I'm supposed to marry, I have purity as part of it. A real story from one of the couples that I prepared for wedding for marriage. The guy had been chased and he had dated a number of people, but he would always say, he said he struggled to maintain purity. The girl had not. She had been with a couple other guys. And so in the middle of their relation, they had been in my young adult group and I was doing their wedding prep, and when they came into one meeting, she actually said, he cried like a baby. I mean, she wasn't saying it badly. She was saying, she, he cried when he realized I had not treasured my chastity the same way he had. And I said to him there, I said, why'd you cry like that? And he said, well, it's something I fought for for so long. I hoped that the person who I would marry would have done the same thing for me. Now, I realize everyone doesn't necessarily make that, but you can realize, what's the better choice? Is the better choice to say, well, you know, most people are probably doing it, or do you say, I choose the best? And if you think about it, everything about Christianity in relation to dating and vocation is always about the best. It never settles for the second best. Second thing on that is you can imagine in wedding preparation, most of the couples, and I would say it up, upwards of 90%, or have engaged or are currently engaging in sexual relationship when they begin wedding preparation. No exaggeration. Now, when I begin wedding preparation, I know that's, that's the fact. Now, later on, I'll explain how I navigate that whole thing. But what I will say is I'll get to the back end of it. I don't leave couples there. But what I say to them is, at the end of it, I say, at the end of this, when they've 
cut, cut back from chastity. I say, I challenge them. I say, right now, even if you've given up on this, for the next six months or four months, I want you to live this chastely because this is the way the relationship should have been lived. You will benefit as a couple. So it's not a rule that is there. I say, you will benefit as a couple. Now, without getting into the whole story, I want to tell you later. I have saved on my computer, I think, five or six couples that wrote me after their weddings. And I always ask them to write me after so they have no responsibility to me. So it's not like, oh, Father asked, and we, if, we don't, if we don't type this up, he won't marry us. So it's after the wedding. I say, if I was right on that, write a testimony so I can give it out to other couples. And now, you know what I do is when couples come in, I say, here you go, I want you to read these. And you know what they do? They say, well, people are thinking it's like a canned story. They say, these are people that have sat in those same two chairs in the same situation that you were in. Some of them, in one case, that they had a child together. I mean, it's not that you were having sex, they had a child together. And I said, we've got to stop this for your well-being. Happily, they're married 10 years now. And I'm the godfather of their next child. I think I've, I shared that with you. Like I've stayed in touch with you. The virtue calls people higher. And it enables them to realize the heights that they're created for. So if someone told you it's moving forward like that, I would just say, try this approach. See if it, see if it works a little better. OK, a couple more things, then we'll end. Don't be a creeper. Three ways to be normal. <laughs> if you have a problem, don't bring it up early on. Two cases that people told me. One guy said he had a problem. He would, he would consistently pass gas. So on the first date, he would always tell the girl, I just want you to know in case you smell something. This, this is a problem I have. And I told him, don't do that, okay? That's not a good way to enter. That's not a way. Because even if you have that problem and they need to realize that, it, it, it leaves people in a place where they're like, do I want to go on a second date? I mean, another guy, his, I think of these things and I'm like, who brings this stuff up? This guy, he said that one of his, his lines that he'd like to say on first dates is he would say, tell me something that you don't like to tell other people. <laughs> and you know, that could be an interest. So I said to him, well, what, what do you tell him? And he said, my usual line, my usual line is I tell him, and this is a direct quote. He says, I tell him I'm a slob. And I, a slob. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, because he said, that's true. And I said, but how does that work for a second date? He goes, not so well. I said, that's right. It doesn't work. It's a, it's a losing question. All right, so that's number one. Number two, do normal things on dates. People, yeah, I will. Okay. People are anxious. Don't give them reason to be more so. <laughs> 
One of these I think I told you about before, but I'll say it again just because I can't. And then the other one I haven't. It was the guy who was so excited to take uh, his the girl he was going to go out on a date to a haunted house. Can I tell you this one? Yeah. 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 It was the middle of summer. And I said there, it was like the most haunted, it was like, you know, most, it was like a live, it was called a slaughterhouse or slaughter fest. And he said, I'm going to take her, because I had told him, and one of the things I had said is, you know, don't do the same dates that everyone else does and whatnot. I've given the, so the guy was like, this is, what do you think, father? So I said, does she like horror stuff? And he goes, that's the whole thing. I don't know. And I said, that's a terrible date. That's a terrible date to go into a slaughterhouse with someone you don't know. I mean, so then the other thing was a guy who he said whenever he would get anxious, he would just walk. He would pace back and forth. So what he did is he was getting anxious during the day. He said, when I get anxious during the day, most women go to the bathroom. And I said, okay. He said, all I do is I don't really need to go to the bathroom. So I just get up and I start walking back and forth across the thing. And I said, like, in their line of sight. And he's like, well, I don't know if they're looking for me. And I'm like, I think they're looking for you. I think they're probably looking for you. So he's just, like, walking back and forth. And you can imagine how that would be if you're, like, on a date and the guy you're out with is, like, just pacing from the bar to the restroom and back. You know, that's his... Third, recognize context clues. People give clues on dates on how things are going. We often double down when things are going badly. Well, this guy doesn't seem to be interested in me, so maybe I'll force some of my bad humor on him, okay? You, and what does that do for you, right? If the thing is not going well, there's two ways to handle it. How would you, guys, before I tell you my thing, let's say you're on a date and you get the clues that it's not an immediate connection. One or the other. Let's even say you like it and the other person doesn't really like it. So what would you do in that case? What are your, what are your plays? And I don't mean like specifically, but what kind of general things would you do? Let's, let's test you guys. Has anyone been in that situation before? Oh, everyone here has had a perfect first date? Oh, okay. So, all right, so hypothetically then, so since no one, hypothetically that you've had that, so you're really interested and the other person doesn't seem to be, what would you do? What plays can you make? Yep. Uh, nicely ask them, so like in the room, will I need to take you Okay, and I say it to get the truth. All right. I'm gonna go home. So one thing, okay, one you are right. One thing you can do is just cut your losses. You're like, the game is over. We we've run the bell. Okay, it's out. So let's say that we don't want to do that, because that is something you could do. You could just be like, I'm out. I know this isn't happening. Okay, we're done. But there is a way to salvage. Now here's what I would say about asking that. Here's the problem with asking that. I wouldn't recommend it because if the person is not enjoying themselves, to ask them at that point, it's like if you've just kicked someone and I'm like, are you, are you doing well now? I mean, like, so you don't want to, you don't want to get the answer you want. So we're saying, I understand what you're trying to do there to sort of elicit from them where are they at, 
But most of the time, if you think it's going badly on their part, you're right. Okay? <laughs> so there are ways you've got to. Well, anyone else have an idea of what you do? Yeah. because I'm going to give you at least one tool. It doesn't mean it's a win, but does anyone, has anyone tried to salvage in that? If you're interested, here's the thing. If you're still interested, I would suggest don't immediately wave the white flag and say, I'm out, you know, because like, that's what people do. What would be something you could do if, the, if it's not going well? Keep eating the croutons, right? <laughs> yes. What you would do is you audible. It's the same thing as in a sports play. I love sport. It doesn't mean you'll win, but it's already looking bad. So what you would do is you, you would audible the date. Whatever you're currently doing is not working. So you don't want to just now, if it's already two hours, three hours into the date, game over, OK? Because the person is not going to be like, so do you want to do X now? But you, what you could do is if it doesn't look like it's going well, Throw in an audible, and, and a good way to do that is to say, like, well, here's a tip. You can get something out of, like, asking, like, what do you like to do? So you're sitting there at, you know, like, Longhorn eating, and they're like, I love to, you know, walk in the forest, okay? I mean, that's a little weird. Okay. I, all right, all right. They may say that. I love to go to slaughterhouses. <laughs> the, but if they say, like, I like I, I, bowling, or if they say, I like flowers, or they say, I like pets, that would be your move. You would counter and you would say, you know, I was thinking we could do, I, that was exactly what I was hoping we could do next, which is true, because what you were hoping for was a good date. So you would go and you would, you would try to end as fast as possible the portion of the date that you were in that's not going well and transition to a date in an area that is more favorable to the person who you're on the date with. Now, I want to be clear that that doesn't mean it will go well because it could also be your personality. No, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I mean, we're just saying. <laughs> it, it could be environment or it could be the person. We're trying to solve that. Now, if you are then at the dog park or the bowling alley and it's still going badly, do the Maddie, right? Just wave it and say it's over. Okay, we'll stop there. Uh, next week, what we're going to do is how to move the date exclusively. So what are, I've got six things like, now I understand that you guys are probably not like, what was the second one Father said there? But if you remember some of these, they're great tools in the moment. So I, I would love, I've actually had people who have gone who have been like, I used one of your, your tools on the date. So like if anyone's there, you can be like, hey, we tried this. 
So these are things really that I hope uh, will help you. So they're, they're going to be things that are more like than initial dating. It's how to like advance from like, so you've had a good first date or second date or third date, but how do you get to like serious dating uh, and, and actually do it well? Like how do you advance communication? How do you reveal things about yourself? How do you get information from someone who's difficult to communicate with? Ever run into that before where you're, you're talking a whole lot and then they're like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then you're like, okay. All right, moving to the next topic that I was going to talk about. But you need to learn, and there's, there's ways to do that. All right, so that's next week. Sorry, David, we didn't get to the John Celo story, but next week, you're up. He was ready. <laughs> there's a story he was going to tell, but uh, that's next week. All right, let's pray. Anyone have an intention? Souls in purgatory. Okay, souls in purgatory. Danielle. Consciences for Ukraine. Okay, uh, Danielle's grandfather for our community tomorrow on our feast day. So excited. And for anyone who is uh, in need of prayers in your families and anyone who's sick. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.